Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, James Sterlings. How you going, guys? For this week's episode, episode 22, we're doing a game of James's choosing. Always the best episodes, in my opinion. We're doing a game called Vagrant Story, um, probably yet another game that most of you have never heard of. It was released in 2000 for the PlayStation 1. It kind of exists in the Final Fantasy universe. Uh, it's got connections to Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy 12, but it works fine as a complete standalone game. And it was later released through the PlayStation Network for PS3, PSP, and the PlayStation Vita. Uh, so here on the Retrospectors podcast, what we do is we examine old games through a modern lens. So this fortnight, James and I both played through Vagrant Story, and we have many, many opinions to share on it. And these opinions are being shared from the perspective of someone who's played it for the first time in the year 2019. We don't care how good it was when it was first released. We don't care about evaluating it as a product of its times. We just want to know how fun is this game to play today. So because James chose yet another weird, obscure relic of the past, uh, I'm going to hand the reins over to him for now and get him to explain a little bit about Vagrant Story. James, what, what is Vagrant Story? Vagrant Story is a game. <sighs> Come on, Jazz, we need slightly <laughs> more detail than that. Um, so Vagrant Story is a weird one. I entirely chose this game after seeing gameplay of it for maybe two minutes and thinking, what the hell is going on? It's almost could be described as a JRPG. It's a very Japanese game, but it's got a lot of little quirks to it that help it stand out from its competition. I really don't think I've ever played a game quite like this um, yourself. No, I haven't played anything quite like this. It's got kind of bits and pieces from a whole bunch of different genres and games, and they kind of come together in this Frankenstein monster. I don't know how you want to do this, James. Do you want to like start talking about the story? Do you want to give a basic breakdown of some of the basic gameplay elements? Where, where do you want to start? Because uh, there's a lot to talk about. I think starting with the story makes the sense first. I guess that's the easiest bit to unpack, and then we can kind of expand on that from there. Kind of like the, um, the Mega Man Battle Network episode we did previously, this episode's going to consist of a lot of explanations because there's a lot of weird stuff to get through and to talk about, but I'm really excited to kind of like dive deep on something so unique. Um, did you want to lead us in about the story a bit? Just in a general sense, the first thing to remark about this story is that it's very confusing. Like, uh, you kind of get dumped into the middle of the story with very little explanation. And as you're playing through the game, you don't really start to make sense of it until about halfway through. At, at least that's what it was for me. And even after finishing the story and then reading lots about it, there's still lots and lots of bits and pieces that I do not understand at all. I'll also say this is your official spoiler warning. We'll be going into all the bits and pieces of the story. So if you want to play this game unspoiled, I recommend doing that now and coming back later. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start by talking about the story from the limited perspective you have when you first begin and then later on we'll talk about the story uh, holistically because I want to start by giving you the premise. 
And the premise is that uh, you play as a character called Ashley, who's what's called a breaker. They're kind of like a government secret agent. The closest parallel in modern times would be something like James Bond. He's a special secret agent that's really good at killing dudes and dealing with problems, and he works for the government, so he's a government agent. So the story begins with a group called Mullenkampft, which is a religious cult headed by a guy called Sidney, taking control of Duke Bardorba's manor. They take a bunch of hostages, and they're apparently searching for something, although at this stage, and maybe no stage, we don't know what. Parliament gets Ashley, uh, who's the breaker agent. They want him to take control of the situation. They want him to investigate why they're doing it, you know, subdue Sydney, take control of the situation. So Ashley goes to the manor and is just about to figure out how to get in when another group, the Crimson Blades, which are led by a guy called Romeo and who are associated with the Cardinal, so the religious order, begin an attack on the manor. This provides a distraction for Ashley to seek out Sydney and find out what his deal is. Uh, just a bit more detail on the story because we're still kind of in the um, in the prologue. Ashley finds Sydney, and it seems Sydney has the power of immortality, or at least an insane resistance to damage, because Ashley shoots him with a crossbow bolt, and he regenerates the damage almost um, immediately. Uh, he eventually gets away and flees to a, the city of Limond, which is some spooky, haunted city where great power happens. And he tells Ashley to chase him. So all these different factions uh, converge on Limond, this city, in pursuit of power and other mysteries. And that's the that's the basic setup of the game. Yeah, because the basic crux of the story is that Limond is this like magical, dark-infested city that can offer somebody great power if they're able to take control over it. So the general overview is the story is all these competing factions fighting to take control of this city and you as the government's agent trying to, you know, defeat both Sydney and the Cardinal's men because I guess throughout the course of the story you get this feel that there's a big tug of power between, you know, the parliament and the religious side of the society that they're living in, although it's a bit, a bit vague at times and mostly left up to the reader's imagination so to begin the episode the main thing that you need to know is that you're trying to stop uh, a bunch of different factions from getting control of this dark energy that infests a city see i think that's being too generous i don't actually think your goal is ever that clearly laid out um at the beginning your task is to stop sydney but and to to track him down and i think that's really your only goal and then Sydney kidnaps your um your compatriot called uh, who's called Merlos, who's an agent like you, but she's got no combat experience. So she gets kidnapped and she spends the entire story a prisoner. And then I'd say your goal is to rescue her. I think it's only as you move into like the much later stages of the game that you become aware of that your goal is to seize the power or stop others gaining yeah power. i think that's fair enough i think the main character's motivations and like understanding of the situation does change pretty drastically throughout the course of the game um so 
the first thing I actually wanted to ask you about the story is how do you feel about this style of vague storytelling? Because in my experience, a lot of Japanese RPGs I've played previously have been extremely heavy-handed with their exposition and kind of laying on exactly what's going on and all the characters' motivations um, to the player uh, at all times, whereas I think this game kind of dumps you in this setting with all these characters who have pre-established motivations and just kind of lets you go to figure it out as you go through the game. So I um I love this style of storytelling. Um, as I've told you many times, my favorite book series of all time is Malazan and Book of the Fallen, which I feel does uh, a very similar thing. It kind of um, dumps you in the middle of it with, with very little exposition. You're often, with this sort of storytelling, the first few hours are often very confusing and difficult. Uh, but once you get into the into the main thrust of the story, once a few hours have passed and you start to get a grip on the different factions, it's very enjoyable watching it all come together. And this was one of the things I really liked about Vagrant Story. I liked the vagueness of the story. Uh, even if at times it was like even a bit too vague to the point of, you know, this feels a bit more like a plot hole than it does uh, being deliberately vague. But in general, yes, I quite liked this. Did, did you like this style of storytelling? Yeah, I was actually really taken aback. Um, as I've said before, you know, Patrick hasn't played a lot of, you know, Japanese RPGs, whereas I've played a lot, a lot of them. Um, so I was actually quite pleasantly surprised about this really, you know, shift in storytelling. I actually thought it was quite enjoyable. I agree with you in that I don't think it's perfect, and I think there's a lot of room um, in that it leaves too much to interpretation and doesn't quite fill in some really basic ideas. But I thought the general trying to figure things out was really fun. Part of the problem with it for me is that there are things that after finishing the game, I still don't understand at all. And I don't think a clear explanation is there at all. Like, for example, why did Sydney ever attack the Duke's manor in the first place? Because yes. it's kind of revealed over the course of the story that they're working together or they're on the same side. So I don't understand why he he did that. It, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I think it might have something to do with Sydney wanted to kidnap the Duke's son and maybe transfer the dark power to him. But it's just. But I feel like I'm making excuses for the story at this stage. And there are a couple of spots like that where I feel they needed to explain these holes better. Because when you have these complicated factional alliances, you want to make sure that it all clicks together and works. And it doesn't just become, I guess, I guess a mess of allegiances because yeah. then it loses its um its weight and impact a little bit i think but on the whole i i'd far prefer they tell the story in this fashion with some holes than them over explain and have too much exposition 
Yeah, I actually agree with you about that one thing that seems like a plot hole. I actually watched the entirety of all the cutscenes again today, just as a refresher, um, and the majority of things actually make complete sense to me now that I've watched it a second time. Um, there's, uh, there's actually a heap of foreshadowing and stuff like that right at the start that I didn't notice the first time through, which was actually really cool. But this one plot point actually does just completely go over my head. Um, and the only reason I can see for it is maybe some form of subterfuge to trick his own men, but I have no idea why um, otherwise. I guess talking about Sydney so much, I kind of want to talk a bit about the characters. Um, how did you feel about the cast as a whole? Um, I actually quite liked the good majority of the characters. I thought they were all fairly interesting. So while I thought that the story was interesting, I was a much, much lower on the characters, uh, particularly Ashley, the main the main protagonist. I found that he was just, he just like had an absence of personality. He was completely uninteresting, didn't possess any notable attributes whatsoever. Um, some are better than others. Uh, I think that Romeo as a character at least has a clear agenda. Um, a lot of the other characters, uh, Rosencrantz is particularly interesting. He's kind of like a character that's trying to play all sides, but he ends up coming off as a whiny douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Sydney is potentially interesting as well, but he's so enigmatic and he refuses to tell anyone anything. I just stopped caring about him. People over the course of the game ask him questions about things, and he never answers any questions, and it makes you wonder why anyone followed him in the first place. He just keeps telling everyone to trust him. So I think that some of the characters were, were all right, but on the whole, I thought the characters were pretty weak. I thought, um, I actually agree with you about the main character. I think Ashley's quite boring. He does have his own little, like, story arc, but I don't think it really goes anywhere or does a good job of conveying any sort of meaning to the player, um, which can, I can found... we Can we go make sure we go into detail on his story arc? Because I have some serious problems with it. Yeah, let's do that now. So, Ashley, the main character, starts off as a risk breaker, you know, um, an agent of the government, and... And his main character-defining moment in his backstory is that at some point he was spending time with his wife and child when they were brutally cut down by ruffians, and this characterizes him for a lot of the game. Um, throughout the game, it's revealed to you that this memory of his family being cut down was implanted in his head by his own organization in order to control him, when the fact of the matter was that in his past life he was actually an assassin of sorts, who mistakenly cut down a woman and child, the same ones he believes to be his family. So they're actually not his family, and he, overcome by the grief of killing innocents, was almost rendered useless as a soldier. But apparently his parent organization... Uh, was able to abuse this uh, kind of dark moment in his past in order to manipulate him, or at least that's what the game tries to convey to the player, and I thought it was kind of A, far-fetched, and B, it didn't really amount to anything in the end. There was a nice kind of emotional moment near the end of the game uh, where he kind of resolves his feelings, but I don't really think it went anywhere interesting. Okay, so I've got many problems with this, the first of which is... What, did he accidentally kill them or was he trying to kill someone else? Is, is that the idea behind it? Because I don't think that's explained either, whether he did it accidentally or because his companion says to him after he kills him, he says something like, 
there were witnesses and we had to kill them, right? Yes. So he didn't accidentally kill them. He killed them on purpose, right? No, I think he accidentally kills them and then his partner says, it doesn't matter, we were going to have to kill them anyway. I, okay, that, that's fair. I, I guess I don't really understand why this has like completely shattered his consciousness like he was trying to kill other people right like what's the difference between killing these peasants and killing other civilians that he was ordered to kill also i don't um quite know if it was like in the dream sequences where you see this all happening this takes place in the middle of a wide open field with nothing around it and he just walks up and kills them like how do you accidentally kill two people on their own under a tree um, I'm not sure if the setting is exaggerated for the purpose of the dream and they were actually somewhere else, but to me that just doesn't make any sense. You can't make a mistake like that. Yeah, and I mean, I can understand if it was more drawn out. Like, you can you can grow to regret the things that you do, but to have him all of a sudden throw down his sword and say, after he's killed them, no less. It, it's not like he's fired a missile and there was collateral damage. Like, he fucking killed them. To him say, "Oh, I can't do this anymore." It's it's just bizarre. It doesn't quite it doesn't quite work for me. It doesn't make sense, and perhaps the reason it doesn't make sense is because so much else of the world feels so well realized. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the the world that you're in is kind of fleshed out through a lot of incidental dialogue that's really cool. And just this primary driving motivation for the main character being so loose is really it's just weird. It's um it's particularly a problem at the very end because kind of the way Ashley resolves his internal conflict is something to the effect of it doesn't matter whether you killed an innocent family or you failed to protect your wife and child from being killed. Uh, that's all in the past and now you need to move on. And all I could think while listening to that is that Killing an innocent family for no reason and your family getting assassinated and you being slightly too slow to kill them are not the same thing. And you can't equate them and say that they are the same thing. And trying to say that they are the same thing is a really bizarre move and i don't understand. I guess the, um, I guess the direction they're going for is like it doesn't matter if you are a failure or if you are evil um in the end all that matters is the person you want to be and who you should be trying to be going forward but i don't think they communicate that very well to the player and i don't think ashley goes through enough turmoil outside of the flashbacks to kind of warrant that kind of character growth you only have those one or two flashbacks to flesh out the character a apart from that he's just a monotonous person who's you know, he's he's he barely speaks. He spends most of his time listening to other characters' conversations. I, I basically didn't buy Ashley as as a character. And part of the, there's there is a plot explanation to it somewhat. At the start of the game, Sydney says something to the effect of like you're without a soul, like you're a vessel. So maybe it was a deliberate choice. But I found I didn't care about Ashley because he was so boring. So, I mean, it failed as a storytelling device, even if there is an in-game justification for it. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I do agree that the main character is actually the weakest of the entire cast. And there are some very minor characters that I think are actually better than him. Um, for me, my favorite characters were 
A, Sydney, and B, Melos. I don't know how you felt about Melos. I thought she was really uh, entertaining because right at the beginning of the game, she gets kidnapped by Sydney and his goon squad. And rather than just being a very meek kind of hostage, she spends the entire game trying to still fulfill her mission by getting as much information out of them as possible at every single opportunity. She was very pushy with her captors at every point, and I found that really engaging. Yeah, it was alright, although I don't know why they felt the need to keep her as a hostage, though. Like, why why was she with them? Why were they treating her so well? Yeah, instead of I, just uh, killing her, I'm not sure either. I think it was just a plot convenience for the sake of the story. Yeah, so I, I agree that she was okay. I mean, the fact that she was a prisoner for the entire game and the fact that she didn't really actually do anything meaningful in the end apart from provide exposition, was a bit of a problem. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not that she was a bad character. It's that they... I felt they didn't really do much with her. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and then for Sydney, I actually agree that I think a lot of his... The stuff he does in, does in terms of the plot is quite mediocre. But I find him a really engaging character to have on screen. He's very theatrical. He's very you know, engrossing. I found myself really enjoying the scenes that he's in because he's just so, you know, plain entertaining outside of the plot that he's in. I find him to be just a really entertaining character who I couldn't get enough of. Just the lines of dialogue he has and the way that he interacts with people was just so bizarre and I really, really quite enjoyed it. The most intriguing thing about Sydney for me is that as the story developed and as I then did research afterwards, it seems to me that Sydney is the mastermind behind everything that happens in this game. Yep. He says himself that he's the hare and he wants, or the stag, and he wants everyone to chase him. And that's exactly what happens in this game. You have all these different factions converging on Sydney, chasing him, trying to get his power. And in the course of that journey, they have to go through trials and tribulations and get more powerful and prove themselves worthy of the power that Sydney possesses. And I think that that led a lot of credence to... Um, Sydney, uh, Sydney basically summoning all these monsters. <laughs> I guess the strength level of the monsters. Normally, there's no good reason for the fact that the monsters are always of an appropriate strength level for you. But Sydney was putting everyone through these tests to make them strong enough yes. to be able to take this power. So while I found Sydney a little campy in his theatrics, that didn't appeal to me as much. I do like the fact that. Sydney has kind of got everyone on his puppeteer strings, uh, pulling everyone along on the journey with him. I almost consider Sydney to be more of a main character than Ashley. Um, I think that the entire plot revolves around this character, and I think he leads, uh, I think he drives everything that happens in the story. Yes, I agree with that. Um, he, he, certainly, he certainly is the main actor in the story, but uh, unfortunately we're stuck with Ashley for most of the game. One of the things I want to go into um, is that I think the main enjoyment of the story comes not from the content of the story itself, but the way it's presented. 
Um, very early on into the first cutscene, I noticed an incredible use of quote-unquote camera work during each of the cutscenes. Like, every time a character talks, the camera's swinging around using these really cool shots and angles to, you know, create mystery and suspense and all this awesome. It's really dynamic and engaging. It's like, so much more than I find in games produced recently. Um, I looked up the director, uh, Matsuno, and he has a big background in film, and I felt that very strongly throughout the entire experience. I think that every shot and every cutscene was really engaging and dynamic, um, and is just really a joy to experience, even if sometimes it was really hard to follow the story or the character's motivations. I find myself looking forward to the cutscenes a lot, just because of the cinematography on display here was so damn good. And I'm not a huge film fan, but I found it incredibly noticeable, especially compared to a lot of recent games, which I don't think do this anywhere near as well as Vagrant Story. I think they do do it. They just do it less noticeably. Um, the the use of camera angles is, as you said, very exaggerated and dramatic in its impact. It's done very well. And I would say that the thing that uh, sets it apart, I guess, is the combination of this camera work with the more theoretical take on dialogue and acting that happens in the scenes. Because the each scene is presented almost as a scene from a Shakespearean play. Yes. Or at least that was the closest analogue I could think of. And when you compare it with these uh, camera angle changes to add emphasis to the dialogue and the character reactions, it gives it a very intimate feel. And uh, it's one, and those two things combined is something that's very rare in games today. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely superb. I was very upset when the last cutscene finished and I didn't have any more to watch. And, you know, as I said today, I watched the entire thing again and was absolutely happy to do so. I think um, the cutscenes in the story are very engaging, um, even if the plot points are kind of weak sometimes. Um, if you like really exaggerated, dramatic, you know, theatrical kind of characters and a plot, then you definitely like this, I think. I will say that I found that the dialogue itself was a mixed bag. Uh, as someone who does enjoy Shakespeare, um, Shakespeare has I, Shakespeare's dialogue has a lot of poetry and nuance and well-constructed flow and banter between the characters. It's almost musical to what to watch Shakespeare on stage. This was nowhere near that quality. And it was by no means bad, and in certain spots it was really good, but it was also a little cringy at times with the way they used old-timesy sort of uh, phrases and dialogue. Really? I uh, thought that was awesome. I One of the things that I really enjoyed was, because this is a Japanese game localized into English, I thought the people who localized this game did an excellent job of choosing vocabulary that kind of fit the, the gothic theming that they were kind of going for. I wouldn't say it's gothic. Uh, gothic came a bit after this sort of, um, this sort of period. Uh, but, you know, like the characters will say... What foul betrayal is this upon me? And, I don't you know, think it's quite that exaggerated, but they definitely do ham it up a bit. Yeah, it's it's not always that bad. And like I said, I don't. I actually think it's quite competently written on the whole. 
I just don't think it's I, I wouldn't say it was excellent writing. I say I'd say it was competent to good in the most part. And there were certain bits that I absolutely adored. Um, one of my favorite moments in the whole bit is when Sydney is speaking to a soldier who starts to summon a dark power. And uh, Sydney says, do not do that. You will die. And uh, the soldier says, I- I'll be fine. I'll do it anyway. So he does it. And then he dies before he can finish the, um, the summoning spell. Then Sydney says something to the effect of, what a fool. He's not power- he wasn't fa- powerful enough to do it. And then the soldier who's lying on the ground drenched in blood coughs up some more blood and says, you should not speak ill of the dead. And then he finishes the ritual. And that was an excellent uh, example of wonderful dialogue, perfectly timed, really well done. If it was always up to that standard, this would be fantastic. But I feel that's a a peak that they only hit a couple of times over the course of the story. Yeah, I'm going to disagree on that. I actually think that the localization and the kind of dialogue choice is actually excellent throughout the entire experience and does a great job of kind of fitting the theme and the time that they're going for i found it to be to the point of being a little cheesy but i think the whole game is kind of going for that kind of like theatrical feel to it so i think it fits perfectly um i don't think the plot points are super great the entire time and that i don't think there's a great message behind the entire game but i think the presentation is absolutely outstanding and i think um that it's definitely better than most modern games I mean, it's a game, the the story of this game has certainly grown on me as I've been thinking about it, which is generally the sign of a good, interesting story because it's one with depth. But yeah, I I just can't say that the presentation, like the presentation, these scenes, the dialogue, the characters, compared to other literary things that I listen to and its inspiration, which, which is Shakespeare, it just doesn't really hold a candle to it. And I mean, few thing, few things do. And for video games, yes, this this is this is a very strong video game story. But from the perspective of someone who loves stories, I, I just found it decent. I, I didn't think it was great. There were there were parts which were great, but uh, it, it was it was good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. No, which, no, no, um, I, I can agree with that. I think from a you know, in general, all media storytelling perspective, it's decent. But then from a video game perspective, um, more than competent is my opinion. Yeah, maybe. I, I tend to like uh, stories in video, video games that are minimalistic uh, for this reason. I find that, yeah, that it, it just doesn't stand up. It doesn't have the snappiness or the poetry of, um, of the dialogue that other things do. And that's fine. Not everything's going to be brilliant. But uh, yeah, I, I can't help but comparing <laughs> uh, it to film and theatre when it's so obviously trying to ape film and theatre. Yeah, sure. If it's trying to tell a story in a way that's not, I guess, that's not trying to ape it so directly, then it feels, you know, you don't need to compare it so directly. But when it's trying to be Shakespearean, well, I'm going to compare it to Shakespeare. And obviously it does fall short. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, let's do a quick music break because we've been going for a while now. Just uh, if you haven't figured it out, this is going to be a long episode if we've uh, spent the last 30 minutes only talking about the story. Um, so one of the things that I noticed today when looking through the soundtrack of this game is that it's really big. Uh, this game has like 20 plus tracks on it. I think that there's almost a unique soundtrack to every single scene in the game, which blew me away. I can't think of another game in recent years that has had a soundtrack that doesn't just reuse the same few tracks over and over again, so quite impressive that they went to that much effort. So let's start you off with one of my favorite tracks called False Memory, which um, has a lot of these really weird use of the human voice to create this kind of unsettling feeling. And they used this a lot when Sydney was on screen to give this like otherworldly arcane kind of feel. And I really enjoyed that throughout the game. So here's a false memory. <laughs> So that was a false memory, and I guess that brings us to the meat of the game, which is the gameplay. Um, the gameplay in this game is, as I've said before, unlike anything I've ever seen before. The closest comparison I can make to Vagrant Story's combat system is probably a turn-based JRPG, and it probably falls into that category in a broad sense, but there's a lot of little nuance and differences that makes it stand apart from the rest. Um, this game has a heap of different little gameplay systems, so rather than kind of jump into the whole thing from the get-go, because it's so confusing, I kind of want to break this down into a lot of different things. So I guess we'll start talking about the movement to begin with. Um, unlike a lot of other Japanese RPGs, you have full range of movement with Ashley Riot. You can move in a full circle and you can jump around like in any platformer. And unlike any other JRPG I've played before, Ashley has the ability to hang and climb up ledges and to pick up items and to throw them around. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of terrain traversal that goes through in this game. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to ask you, Patrick, is how did you feel controlling Ashley? Because I know you're a big controls guy um, and that, you know, a lot of these older games don't handle too well, but I actually thought for the most part that Ashley felt pretty good to control. Are you kidding me? It does not feel good to control. Come on. <laughs> I, f I feel you're blatantly lying because he feels horrible to control. Really? The ledge the ledge detection for his jumps are really bad. No and way. It's got the same old problem of the camera being on the L1 and R1 buttons instead of on the um, the camera control stick, which every single you know 3D platformer in existence now uses. So just moving a character around is a pain in the butt and the platforming and climbing on boxes and everything feels awkward and ugly. So I, I don't know. This this was a shit part of the game. Uh, there's, it, it's, there's literally nothing well done about this game. And if you look at its compatriots, even like 
even something like Ape Escape or whatever does does its 3D platforming far better than this does. I actually think it was fine. You know, as somebody who grew up on the N64, controlling characters with the shoulder buttons is something I was, you know, I did for a good like eight to eight years of my childhood. Um, so it's just something that I didn't even notice until you pointed it out the other day, honestly. Um, I think that in terms of clambering and jumping on ledges, I thought it felt pretty good. I never actually had a problem with him not jumping up a ledge. I thought this game felt better to clamber on ledges than um, Thief did when we reviewed that game. I thought that game, you know, half the time you try to jump up a ledge, it didn't work. Every single time I jumped on a ledge in this game, he clambered it up fast and, you know, he moves smoothly around, he gets up and down you know, without a lot of effort at all, honestly, I never was taken out of the experience by him not doing what I wanted him to do. I think you're mad. I think it's just utter crap. Like, it's not un- It's not that it doesn't function. It's just that it's crappy. Like, it's by today's standards, it's crappy. By the standards of the 2000s, you know, 3D platformers, it's crappy. It, Like I said, it works. Like, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's okay. Like, I, I wasn't, you know throwing my controller against the wall or anything once i got used to yeah, it i'm not saying it's amazing anything i think it's perfectly serviceable i just i don't think it's like complete garbage my standards are higher clearly because i just thought it was crap i didn't enjoy but you just said you thought it was okay it's functional like it, it it doesn't break but it was not it was not enjoyable to control this character at all the way he jumps is annoying uh the way he clambers up on platforms has a weird delay yeah i, I didn't enjoy it i mean i, I don't know what's so controversial i, know, I just thought that. it felt nice to control like when you snap to a ledge and you go up it it just there's some kind of, i don't know what it is but the feedback you get when you clamber up a ledge feels good he snaps into position when you want to push a box around which is a big game gameplay elements we'll get into later but i never found like an issue with doing anything in this game and a lot of the snapping to bits actually felt pretty good so i don't know maybe we just have to disagree here but i don't think that it feels excellent but i think that he feels fine to run around with yeah no i I didn't like it at all um so moving on i guess uh we spoke a bit about the boxes already so i guess we kind of talk about that um a lot of this game involves fighting enemies and monsters and humans with swords and casting magic and that kind of thing but uh there's actually a secondary gameplay component that i wanted to talk about first before we get into that which is the block puzzles because this caught me by complete surprise. I don't think you would have been expecting this either, but this game has a lot of just pushing block puzzles around it throughout the entire game, like way more than I was expecting. It's basically like uh, the secondary gameplay components. Did this take you by surprise as well? I mean, I'd read about it beforehand and um, I knew to turn off the option that reset the box puzzle every time you left the room because of it. Wait, that uh, existed? Yeah, it's just in the main menu. So once you solve a puzzle, it stays solved. I only ever had to do a puzzle twice because I backtracked once. Um, so I never found that as an issue. But go on. Sure. Um, yeah, these were dull and uninteresting and the game would be better if they didn't exist. Really? I'm surprised you think that. The entire reason we started this show was this weird attempt at you to get me to play a box puzzle game. So I'm kind of surprised you didn't enjoy it. You can't compare this game to Steven Sausage Roll. Like, Steven Sausage Roll is 
is a masterpiece wait, of wait, game wait, design. Wait, wait, wait. If we're talking about Steven Sausage Roll, this game controls better than Steven Sausage Roll, and you like that game. No, I disagree. Steven Sausage Roll has a very deliberate control scheme. That it, feels awful. That's the thing about that game. It's all deliberate <laughs> and designed in a very specific way. Uh, yes, it controls very unnaturally at first, but once you got the hang of it, you become a sausage pusher pro. So... Uh, these box puzzles were dull and uninteresting. I hated their existence. I would have preferred if they didn't exist and they weren't in the game at all. They didn't add to the gameplay experience at all. Really? I um, I place a high value on breaking up long sections of similar gameplay with different gameplay. Like, I love mini games and all that kind of thing. Like, if a game just does the same thing for, like, 40 hours straight, I hate that shit. It's awful, you know? You need to you need to break it up. Variety and novelty is the spice of life, so they say. And to me, these block puzzles were a breath of fresh air from the combat, which I enjoyed, but I, you know, I like doing different things. It helps me to... I think that um, that's one of the advantages of cutscenes for example is that it breaks up longer repetitive stretches of gameplay with something different so having this secondary kind of gameplay for me was really valuable because whenever i got to it i was actually pretty excited for a change of pace i didn't think the puzzles were incredibly complex or well thought out but i did enjoy them for the most part and there were a few near the end of the game that actually did stump me for a while and i really appreciate um, when game puzzles actually manage to do that. So I'm less interested in novelty than you are. I basically never play mini games in games. Uh, you know, something like The Witcher 3's Gwent, or if you play a Red Dead game, there's like poker mini games and there's a million mini games. I've gotten zero interest in any of them. Like, I, I want to play games for the their fundamental gameplay mechanics. And it's not enough that something exists as a novelty, it has to be actually interesting and compelling. And the thing is, box puzzles are not interesting and compelling. Like, I don't want to be playing box puzzles. They're a, they're a relic of the past best forgotten. Uh, they're there to artificially extend the game length time. And while I do agree that there are one or two towards the end, which were a bit more challenging, on the whole, they just shouldn't be there. They don't add anything. Are you, saying that, um, are you saying that they're boring because the concept of box puzzles is boring? I think that... Uh, when I want to sit down and play a JRPG, I do, and you know it's a it's a heavily interesting story that I'm engaged with, I don't want to be moving fucking boxes around. Like, why am I doing this? Why is this here? How does this enhance my gameplay experience? Um, by being kind of fun, like I don't know. I thought they were pretty competent. I really enjoyed the addition of being able to attack the boxes. My favorite moment in the entire game involves a box puzzle, but not necessarily solving the box puzzle. Um, early on in the game, I noticed in the combat that we'll get to later, if you have a long weapon, you can stand on a high ground and kind of like poke enemies from up high. And early on, there's this room with a whole bunch of boxes stacked on top of each other for a puzzle. And I stood at the very top of a, of a, um, a tower poking this dog repeatedly until it was almost dead. And then right before I killed it, the dog said, hey, you know what? I'm going to punch this box out from under you and send you like tumbling on your ass and then like 
get three free hits in while your character's getting up off the ground. I was actually like really taken aback about this character, uh, this dog's AI that attacked the platform I was standing on to drop me down. It's so funny. Okay, I I'm I'm surprised you found this as compelling as you have because I. I don't know what to tell you, man. Like it's moving boxes around. It's not. It's not interesting. I I got zero interest in this stuff. I would have preferred it wasn't there. The feeling I'm getting from is you is you're saying that the idea of box puzzles themselves is boring. I think that uh, the way they were this was presented, which there were a bunch of bland and boring box puzzles, is that they weren't interesting. Are you trying to get me to admit that Steven's sausage roll isn't a masterpiece? Is that what this all is? No, what I, I I was being a bit nefarious yeah. here. My what I was going to lead into was saying, how about line puzzles, Patrick? Does <laughs> the concept of drawing line puzzles upset you? Because I know you're a huge fan of The Witness, which is a game entirely based about boring quotes unquote line puzzles. Um, so I don't think that something just being box puzzles is boring i think the execution is everything and i think that it was fine i think that the level of challenge from these box puzzles was enough that it was enjoyable um it wasn't super hard but not all of them were total pushovers either and i appreciated that i think that when i want to play a puzzle game i'll play a puzzle game i don't want to play a puzzle game in the middle of my jrpg i guess maybe that's that's the reason i'm uh i'm not wanting to do it also, the thing about puzzle games is that you're rewarded for solving puzzles by feeling feeling clever, and then you get the next puzzle, which often has a wrinkle or an expansion on that idea, whereas I didn't really get that with these puzzles. I didn't feel clever when I solved these puzzles. It's not like they were super tricky or anything, so I wasn't being challenged in the right way. So maybe there are theoretical box puzzles that are interesting and compelling and I could sit down and play a game full of them but that doesn't mean that having these mini game puzzle box puzzles in this game is a good thing and their existence is a good thing I found them dull and uninteresting I'm glad you got something of value from them I define the idea that you would say like hey you're making a shooter or you're making a JRPG or you're making a sports game you have to only include these elements that seems weird to me i think games as a medium have a lot of room for creativity and when i sit down and kind of play a game my understanding is that these these developers made this game the way they wanted it to that game is complete in its own sense so i don't think that when there's this element i wasn't expecting that that's a negative i i'm on board with that right if, um, if i sat so down I, I don't know. to play far cry 5 um, I'd never. Uh, the first time I played Far Cry Five, I sat down to play it to uh, to kill some dudes on an island. And if every after liberating every single camp, it made me solve a box puzzle, I would rightly say, "Why the hell are there these box puzzles in the middle of the game? They don't fit the game at all. They don't add anything interesting. I don't want to be solving box puzzles. I want to be playing the game. Yes, the developer can make the game however they like." But when there's such a massive divide in gameplay style, it's basically a whole different mini game between that and the main game. I have the right to question its inclusion because there's no reason that these box puzzles are fundamental to the Vagrant Story experience. It doesn't make sense in terms of the lore of, and story of the world, and it's not even, it doesn't really relate to the main gameplay in any way, shape, or form. 
it's just a contrivance for them to shove it in there for no real good reason. No, no, I, I agree that um, in terms of story and lore, that these being in the game doesn't really make any sense. But I guess because me personally, I value novelty and, you know, breaking up gameplay so much. Because when I play a game, my general pattern is that I'll play it for 20 minutes and then stop and go do something else. Because I have an incredibly short attention span for doing the same thing over and over. Like, I cannot sit still. I cannot do the same thing you know, for long periods of time. I I don't watch movies for this very reason because they're too long. I get bored. Um, I can only watch 20-minute kind of things uh, in one go. But with Vagrant Story, because the box puzzles existed and because they, like, did something different every, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 minutes, I was able to play this game for much longer stretches of a time. So maybe that's just me. I assume most people don't have that problem um, that this solved for them. So um, there was a lot of value in these for me. So, you know, that's just me. Well, this week I've been playing Call of Duty and I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. And the thing about Call of Duty is that it's the same every time. What keeps you playing is the fundamental mechanics. So it's incredibly repetitive. You're just doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I, I guess I'm the opposite too in that way. To me, novelty, I, I, I generally dislike it with, with notable exceptions. Uh, I would rather that the basic gameplay be fundamental and interesting. And I found it neither relevant nor interesting. So I'm glad you got something out of it because I certainly did not. Okay, well, let's go on to the basic gameplay then. Do you want to give us a bit of a, a bit of a description about sure. that and then we can kind of talk about so, that? So what we'll do is we'll start with the, um, the I guess, the VAT style system, the basic combat, and then we'll move into the more RPG things later. So uh, sure. if you've ever played the Fallout games, the way the VAT system works is you press a button, time freezes, and you can choose to target body parts. And that's basically how this game works. So when you press a button on your controller, I had, I had assigned to B, a sphere appears around you. And this is in real time as the enemies are running around towards you and away from you. Um, if an enemy is within that sphere, which represents your weapon attack range, you can choose to attack one of their body parts with your weapon. Um, so that's the basic VATS style system. The thing that uh, Vagrant Story does differently is it attaches a rhythm minigame to this system. So when you swing your sword or shoot your crossbow or attack with your spear, however you attack the enemy, you have a chance to press uh, one of three buttons in perfect timing with the uh, hit hitting the enemy. If you do that, you get a chance to hit them again and again and again. And every time you use this ability, you get a bonus effect, which you select from a long menu. There's like 20 to 30 bonus effects. And uh, you can have three equipped at any one time. Yeah, you equip the three bonus effects to your three attack buttons. And when you time the button with your attack, it'll choose that one. So that's, that's what you do. You get into a fight and you try and chain these different abilities together. So the way this is balanced is with a, with, is with a system called Risk. So if you can successfully uh, chain these attacks together and then you decide to end the chain... Uh, you won't gain much additional risk. And risk the higher your risk, the you know lower your chance to hit enemies is, the less damage you do. 
the uh, higher the chance. The more damage you take. Yeah, more damage you take, and you're a lot more vulnerable to attacks. So if you can chain your attacks perfectly and then stop at a time of your choosing, you won't get much risk. If, however, you do fail, like you do a long chain and then you miss one of these uh, rhythm timing windows, you'll get an enormous amount of risk. And then you're in a lot of trouble because you're about to be in a world of pain very soon. So this is the basic uh, gameplay, the action gameplay of Vagrant Story. You, um, you run around, get close to an enemy, open up your sphere of attack, play the rhythm mini games to do a bunch of damage to the enemy, and hopefully kill them before they kill you. There's obviously a lot more to it that we'll go into later, but I'd say that's the fundamental setup for the action part of this RPG. Yeah, so I guess kind of balancing risk and choosing the correct limb to hit is the primary player engagement of this. Um, risk, when it's really high, actually gives you a really high crit chance, So, but at the cost of you, know, you having lower accuracy and being really vulnerable to damage. So certain enemies kind of incentivize you to do one hit at a time, and there's like a short cooldown between each attack, so uh, that's dependent on your agility. So you can either attempt a enemy by doing lots of singular attacks which don't build up risk um, and is generally safer, or if there's a really threatening enemy that will kill you in a short amount of time, you try to kill them in one go by doing like t 8 to 10 attacks in one you know, swift hit, essentially one hitting them before they can react to you. So that's a kind of decision that you get throughout the game. In general, one of the things that I find about these VAT systems, especially in Fallout, um, is that the decision of which limb to target is usually quite straightforward and generally uninteresting. I think that um, this game managed to make the decision of which limb to attack a lot more interesting by kind of flooding the player with information on what limb is weak to all this different stuff that we'll get into later. Um, but, you know, kind of interested to know if you felt the same way. Um, yeah, although, I mean, the thing about the five limbs or whatever is, you know, in a Fallout game, you target the legs, to, you know, to cripple that movement. But most of the time, you're doing a percentage chance. It's like, can I afford to hit the head? And and that's what you're generally doing. You're going for the center of body mass or you're going for the head if you want to roll the dice. Uh, the thing about this game, though, is that each limb, I guess it felt random what the what the resistances and weaknesses of each and every limb was. So it felt very gamey in that regard. But I agree that it added yes. more more nuance to it. It just felt a little a little random how 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 those percentages were so were assigned. Yeah. Um I know that I guess the closest comparison point to this is as I said a turn based JRPG. How would you compare the kind of two gameplay styles like, do you prefer? Would you prefer one over the other strongly? I find that being able to move my character freely around um, and use positioning and that kind of thing to my advantage was quite enjoyable. With this kind of, uh, you know, real-time turn-based attack system, effectively. I think the real-time aspect of this game, after you enter combat, abs adds absolutely nothing, and I hated it. I, I think that the moment okay. you engage in combat it should just switch to a turn-based system, and I would like the game a lot more if it did that. Because what happened really? was okay. I ended up basically menu mashing to enter menus as quickly as I could, 
which felt ridiculous. Like that's not that's not a fun part of the gameplay. I felt the positioning was a lot less relevant than how quickly I could bring up the various menus. Just to elaborate on that a bit, it's it's not like there's a dodge button in this game, like a, like a roll. It's not like uh, there's a parry a parry uh, button to engage with your enemy. As soon as you kind of enter into the range of your enemy and they decide to do an attack, you're probably going to get attacked. Most of the enemies have quite a long range. So your ability to position yourself is fairly limited, really. There's not a whole lot you can do. There's a little bit of maneuvering you can do. It's not non-existent. There's a little bit. But, but it's very limited. Yeah. And I think that your the main impact you have on your gameplay is deciding, you know, what weapons, spells, and, um, you know, break arts, and what abilities you attacks you select for the rhythm minigame are. So my preference would be to take out the real-time aspect altogether and make it more tactical, give me more time to think, not make the game the real-time part about being getting out of it as soon as I can and getting into a menu to select the right right equipment for the right job. Yeah, okay, sure. I thought that the cooldown between your attacks was kind of janky and that it kind of was whatever it wanted to yep. be. There was no real indicator of when you could attack. So, you know, like you, I did find that I was mashing the attack button to try and get off um, my attack as soon as possible. Um, I did notice that certain actions, you could just hold the button and it would do it at the earliest convenience. Oh, For example, the quick menu. Yeah, the quick menu did that, but attacking did not for some reason, which I was surprised about. But I um, I found that a good little quality of life feature that I wish was on the attack button because it would have made it a lot more, make a lot more sense in my opinion. Um, in general, I think that because this game's so unique, um, I don't think I've ever played another real-time melee VATS rhythm-based game before. Um, I don't think anybody else who hasn't played this game has. Um, I found it really kind of interesting to get to know the system and start, um, you know, learning the ins and outs. I think, for me, my favorite part about gaming is learning about the game and figuring out how to get better at it. I would prefer, nine times out of a ten, a flawed, unique experience to you know, a well-done gameplay system that I've encountered a thousand times before. Uh, I'm I'm a lot lower on it. I don't I don't hate the rhythm minigame, but I've got to say it's a lot less interesting than a parry system uh, in modern takes on this, like in Sekiro or Dark Souls or whatever. Parrying is intrinsically a lot more interesting than chaining eight attacks together. And by the end of the game, I could consistently get to about seven or eight chains, and that's generally where I stopped. This game has parrying too. Oh, uh, how, how does sort of. how does the parrying work? Well, when an enemy attacks you, if you time the defense button at the same time you get hit, it does a defensive effect as well. Uh, I ba so I experimented with the defensive abilities for a while, but in the end, I settled on offensive abilities almost exclusively. Really, because you can like it's not like you can only use one or the other. Like you always have the like you always just have both equipped. Um, and effectively, there's a move that makes you take half damage every time you parry. So I just found there was no reason not to be doing it every single time I got attacked. That's interesting, yeah, because the, the way I generally played it was there were a couple of, couple of abilities that enhanced your damage, and then I saved the other slot 
for a variety of utility things, depending on the situation, I tested them both out. Yep. And I found that far and away, that was the most effective way to kill enemies. The thing about JRPGs is that they're generally battles of attrition. And that's what they all boil down to. It's can you kill the enemy before they kill you? So I was very yes. focused on killing the enemy quickly as opposed to damage mitigation. Um, there were specific enemies where I used more... Um, debuffs and such but i mainly used the magic to do that when it came to the rhythm mini game i was playing as aggressively as i could killing them as fast as i could okay in general i was i erred more to the side of doing one little one hit attacks to keep my risk low um, and then occasionally on a you know a threatening enemy going all out for those big eight chain combos but i found that if i used the reflect um, defensive tools a lot you could kill enemies just as quick while keeping your risk low which I found was really helpful for rooms that had a lot of dudes in them if you went all out um, and chained like the first two enemies in a four pack room with um, like long combos then you would have like 50 risk or something and you could take like half your health and damage from the next attack yeah you um you don't gain nearly as much risk as long as you um end the chain naturally like you do eight attacks and then you're like all right i'm just not going to attack anymore it, it won't give you very much but i certainly made a lot of use of the risk reducing potions i was using those non-stop Oh, really? Okay. I used them for certain bosses once my accuracy got too low for me to hit them, but I generally tried to avoid using them because I thought that the gameplay experience was more interesting when you had to deal with the consequences of risk, and I mean, that's just a personal preference for me. Um, I thought that the combat was more enjoyable when I was trying to juggle risk with the actions I was taking. Yeah, may maybe I took a very blunt force approach, but I I was like, the, long the longer this battle goes, the more I have to heal. So I'd rather just kill them fast, except yeah. I'll be taking some yeah, damage. Sure. But in the end, if I do that, I'll be taking less damage overall. So I guess um, that's the, you know, the very foundations of the combat. Um, I guess the second layer of combat is the stat system, which is actually very complex. And I don't know if complex is the right word. Complicated might be more accurate because there's a lot of systems that are very confusing when you start playing with not a lot of explanation. This game doesn't have a tutorial um, and there's a lot of terms and stats and these kind of things that for the first few hours of the game really weren't making a whole lot of sense to me until I found the in-game manual and just read for like half an hour. Um, how did you feel about that? I think this system is a mess. Like it's an absolute disaster <laughs> of a mess. And I know some people swear by this and say it's the greatest thing ever, but it is a confusing mess. And the thing is, James, I freely admit, I didn't just use the in-game manual. I looked up strategy guides not on how to beat X-Boss, but to just explain the system. So the basic gist of it is that there are three, that's right, there are three overlapping sort of uh, systems that affect your damage output. And which You know one... the kind of like the elemental chart in Pokemon that's like if you do water damage to fire, it's effective. Imagine that, but times three and all applying at the same time. And all applying There's in different levels for different reasons that I still don't fully 
understand. Like it's unbelievably confusing. So the most important one in the early and mid game, and in fact, you know, probably throughout the entire game is what the affinity of a weapon is, whether it's an edged weapon like a sword, whether it's blunt like a mace or piercing like a crossbow or a spear. That is the most important one for most of the game. It doesn't tell you this. It it, it just is I the most important. I found it the least important. Uh, okay. it's, it's def- for me, it was definitely the most important. Okay. I think they're all equally important from what I was experimenting with. But go on, explain it to the to the people. Okay, okay. So, so for me, at least, that was the most important. Um, the second most important that becomes very important to the late game are elemental resistances of enemies. Um, and this is the Pokemon system you all know and love. Uh, you know, water enemies. I, I think it's back to front. I think water enemies are actually weak to fire enemies but whatever the point is you analyze it it's like opposing are both strong and weak to each other so like if it's a fire demon you use water on it but if it's a water demon you use fire on it you basically like choose the opposite and go with that the Um, important thing is it tells you what it is um and that that became very important as i moved into the late game identifying the uh the correct element and then for me, at least, the least important, the one I paid the least attention to were the styles. Uh, each weapon has effectiveness against a certain type of monster, and it's like undead, beasts, humans, etc. And what's more, the weapons, if you use a weapon a lot against a certain type of enemy, it becomes stronger against that sort of type of enemy and weaker against others. And these systems are all kind of like overlapping one another. So, a given you might have a mace that's that's uh, that's blunt, that's effective against lizardmen, beasts, and it has lightning resistance, and that kind of gets pushed up against what the enemy's elemental resistance is, their style is, what their affinity is, and a number gets spat out the other side, and it's very mysterious. Yeah. what it's choosing to uh what what the equation is behind that uh, arcane process honestly i found it to be pretty straightforward if you could basically if you look at an enemy and you see all their different types of resistances if you spend like you know a minute or so trying to match because you generally carry about five to eight weapons with you at all times that all have different you know elements and are edged or piercing or effective against lizards or evil things and you kind of pick the best weapon for the job you generally do a decent amount of damage to things um and this is most apparent i think in the boss fights of which there are actually a lot in this game there are more boss fights in this game than probably any game i've played before it's almost like um for every three rooms of dudes there's a boss fight like there's a lot of them and generally for them the kind of gameplay loop for the bosses is you go in and then instantly you cast a spell called analyze Mm -hmm. which explains all of its weaknesses and defenses and that kind of thing and then you spend like a good two or three minutes like looking at each limb in the analyze screen and figuring out what which because different limbs are weak to different things and then looking through your weapons and trying to figure out 
out which weapon I need for this boss or where I need to hit it. Um, for example, there was a dragon boss, um, and I noticed that my best weapon was really strong against its tail, so during the fight I'd have to like run around the dragon trying to get behind it so I could hit the tail and do the most amount of damage. But, you know, generally gameplay loop is get into boss room, analyze boss for a few minutes, then do the damage. I think that the game is actually extremely fair when it comes to you winning or losing. If you make the right decisions in this game, you basically always win. Um, there's not a lot of variance thrown in the mix to kind of fuck you over if you don't make the right decision. Uh, and I actually found that kind of refreshing. But what's the benefit to having such a complicated, overlapping set of systems instead of something cleaner and easier to understand? Like, why can't it be something simpler where I can say, oh, this will do this much damage in this spot because uh, to me it was always a guessing game right like yes i could figure it out it wasn't difficult to figure out but the mathematics behind it all was complete complete confusion to me i i never got a grip exactly on how effective certain weapons would be i was surprised when certain weapons did absurd amount of damage and equally surprised when other weapons did you know less than i was expecting let me preface this by saying that I don't think that making a super complex system is the best way to achieve what I'm about to describe, but one of the, the thing that I love most about games is learning new systems. For me, once I've gotten to the point in a game where I understand everything and it's just a matter of achieving competency, like, you know, for example, if I play a shooter and I know all the systems and now it's just about me getting better aim and doing that kind of thing like once it's about just increasing your skill without actually learning anything i get really bored really fast so for me a game that's this complex like needlessly complex almost um, is really engaging because i could spend the entire time learning something new every few minutes um, or reevaluating my understanding of the system so I actually find that kind of thing really enjoyable, um, and I completely understand that not everybody will feel the same, but in a lot of JRPGs, I find that the combat is really straightforward to the point where, like, halfway through the game, the only thing keeping me going is caring about the story. Not so in this game. I really enjoyed, like, trying to figure out every little bit and detail and nuance of the combat in this game which I don't think is perfect, and I think there's a better way of keeping your player engaged and learning new things throughout the story by, like, drip-feeding new mechanics to them throughout... Because this game just dumps everything on you right at the start and, you know, is so convoluted that it will take you the entire game, maybe more two-playthroughs, to figure everything out. But for me, it did actually kind of work. But I don't think all this complexity necessarily leads to that much strategic depth and I don't think an insane amount of complexity is required to have that sort of compelling strategic depth. No, I, I, I completely agree. That's what I was trying to head like. Oh, that's okay, what I was sure. trying to trying to explain. Like, I don't think it's the best way that you can achieve that depth. And I think that a lot of the systems in this game are redundant to the yes. point where that's that's a good to way the to point where it. it's not actually adding more depth it's just like busy work on the player's behalf of trying to figure out what's going on but i don't mind that um it's not something that turns me off in games but i can absolutely see that it's probably something that turns most people off even 
So, so I think that most of the learning uh, that that you described in this game, I think that's when the game was hard. Like uh, the first few hours, I found the most difficult by far. But I think a large part of that is the game doesn't really give you a learning curve. It just kind of pushes you off the edge of the cliff and expects you to fly. And I don't know how people figured out this stuff without access to a walkthrough at all because it's very obtuse. I mean, like I said, I've read I've read the guides explaining it and I still don't fully understand it. But once you get over that initial hump and you realize it's rock, paper, scissors with extra steps, uh, it becomes a lot easier and more straightforward. And for me, at least, I don't actually think this game is that interesting in terms of the challenge it presents you as you move into the latter half of the game yeah uh, i followed a similar strategy every single time analyze figure out what they're weak to you know swap in gems and figure out i, I didn't use the offensive spells but i swapped in gems or found the best weapon and armor for the job uh deal with that enemy's limb uh move on to the next bit rinse and repeat over and over again like i said it's just rock paper scissors with extra steps there is an actual strategic depth here it's just a complex mess of systems that boils down to something simple i think the majority of games are actually rock paper scissors at their heart um and i don't think that just saying have you, have you heard, of, heard of a game called into the breach sir yes into the breach is the perfect example of a game that's incredibly simple in its presentation that has perfect clarity that gives you perfect information at all times but is incredibly strategically deep and interesting and i would present that as a contrast to vagrant story i think vagrant story systems are obtuse difficult to understand they layer on top of one another in confusing ways but the actual decision-making process is very simple at the end of it. Yeah. You, there are less variables to consider than you might think. I actually don't disagree at all in that this game isn't as deep as the complexity initially suggests. Like, I think it's just complicated, essentially. Like, they've overcomplicated the mm -hmm. game in order to give a feeling of depth that isn't... You know, it never quite get to the the heights that I expected going in. And I agree that the start of the game is hot. Like, I think the game actually has like a linear difficulty curve. Um, assuming that you understand the systems from the get go, which you don't, but because you don't, and because the game doesn't explain it, the start of the game is a lot more confusing than the end. Whereas the actual combat and winning combat is extremely straightforward. You just, you pick the right weapon for the job and it works. There's really not a whole lot that throws a spanner into the works, you know, and pushes you outside of your comfort zone. There was one boss that I found that drove me nuts, um, but I kind of appreciate mm -hmm. it in hindsight because it made me approach it in a different way, was this um, shadowy demon in the middle of the game. And I don't know if you had this problem, but no matter what I did, I could not find a set of weapons that would do damage to it. Nothing I had was able to damage this thing. And the way I ended up beating it in the end was by equipping the reflect defense and reflecting all its moves back at it while chugging down health potions. Because, you know, when you reflect, you still take the damage. Um, and that was the only way I could beat it, which drove me nuts um, when I was... I did, um, I did the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. And its yeah. animations are actually really hard to predict, too. 
there's probably something I'm missing, but that's how I beat it as well. I'm I'm certain there's something I'm missing. That it might actually that, be the way it. you're supposed to beat it, honestly. Um, but it was frustrating. I'm, I'm skeptical. That would that would be <laughs> that would be very out of step with, with the what rest the game of the game. But I did the same thing. Yeah. I feel like an idiot. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure people have finished and been like, "Oh, obviously you do." Obviously, this. you were supposed to go to this room and get the light gem. Duh. Um, it was probably yeah. something like that. There was actually a dragon right near the start of the game that I died to very quickly, um, and then I went in a different direction and found a set of gear that was like perfect for killing it. Um, the, and that... the game does give you is quite good at doing that at giving you relevant gear shortly before the boss fights actually one of my favorite things about this game is the gear drops because unlike a lot of other games where you'll get a shitty sword after killing something this game always gives you like five things at once it gives you like three healing potions and two antidotes and a headpiece and a relevant sword all at the same time and every chest you happen upon is full of six to seven things i love that i think um i think with that we should probably move on to the real the real game because really we've been <laughs> um we've been ducking around the issue the yeah. real game is uh is the menu system yeah it is i don't know if you thought i was going to talk about that but no uh, no 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 i was i was full i i don't know if you expect me to disagree because i assume that you agree with me um that this is by far the worst part of the game um it's 90 percent of the game this is the the game as far as i would as I'm say concerned. it's 90 percent of the game like 40 percent of the game like the other the other 60 percent is block puzzles and watching cutscenes so because we mentioned this before but we didn't dive deep into it because we knew it would lead to this conversation is that as patrick said before when you hit an enemy with your weapon it kind of gains an affinity towards that enemy type for example if i use my sword and i hit a lizard with it it will get better at hitting lizards but if you hit like a demon it'll get better at hitting demons but worse at everything else so you're really incentivized to have a weapon for every single beast or human or light or dark monster possible so and you if you like you're discouraged from hitting a beast monster with your human weapon because that'll lower its damage in the long run so basically if a room has a dog a human and a bat in it or something like that you basically have to switch your weapon in your inventory menu every single time you change targets which there's no quick way to do this you have to go into your weapon and then click equip and then click on your sword and then click on the sword in your sword selection and then back out and then confirm your selection and then mm -hmm. do your attack and then you turn around and you have to hit the dog so you do the whole thing again and every battle involves you changing your weapon like six times and like there is a quick menu in this game but it only lets you access your spells and consumables if this quick menu had let you switch your weapon quickly i think this game would be like twice as good as it currently is because as it stands i think there's a good game hiding here under like menu simulator year 2002 or whatever it was so um i didn't even use the menus as much as you seem to because basically and once again i freely admit i did look up online how these systems work because it was just i was like how am i meant to figure out what matters and the overwhelming consensus was that what you you said that that emphasis on 
the styles was a lot less important than the affinities and the elemental aspects. So they people basically said that you can get to a stage where you replace your weapons with new equipment, and when you do that, the old ones kind of go in the trash, and as you continue onwards, the affinities and the elemental you know, things are more important. I was kind of sticking to it, but I wasn't religiously sticking to, I'll use this weapon on this enemy. I was using something that might have been the third best for the affinities, but it was, sorry, the third best for the style, but was the second best for the affinities or whatever. And even then, even when I wasn't using as much as you were, I spent 90% of my games in menus. Yeah. Just going from menu to menu to menu to menu to menu, pausing so I could rapidly access menus that's the entire game or most of the game as far as I'm concerned. And that's not and it's not just choosing your weapon as well, because weapons have gem slots too. Yep. So you need to pick the right gems for each weapon. Like so later in the game it's like, oh I'm fighting this fire demon, so I have to pick my demon sword and then I have to put like my water gems in. Oh no, now I'm fighting uh, earth demon, so I have to take the gems out, put different gems in, change my weapon, change the gems on my, each of my armor pieces as well. Um, but it's so, like it's more than that because firstly you cast analyze and you look at their stats you look at their limbs and their weakness for, for each and every one um you yeah get your demon sword and each limb will be different right so you're like all right i need this weapon with this gem for this limb let's go and it's just it takes three minutes to get that there's also a buff and a debuff system in the magic yeah. system for this game, which is also very relevant. So, And buffs wear off as well, so you have to keep your buffs up. So you're fighting this fire elemental and you've changed your weapon like three times and you've equipped like four gems here, three gems there, and you've like enchanted your sword with water and you've made sure to enchant your chest with resist fire and then you've put your strength buff on as and well. Your and then you've debuffed the... Yeah, and then you've debuffed your enemy, and you've done all that, and then you make your first attack. Like, <laughs> like, and that, well, you've done that's... the hard part of the game, right? That, that's why calling this an action RPG is like a massive mis misnomer. The action part is essentially non-existent. The action part is yeah, because the majority of the game is making the correct decisions of how you should set up your character and what you should attack, and then once you've done all the like the busy work then like just killing them is just it just happens because you've made the right choice like there's nothing that's gonna stop you from killing them now that you've made all the right choices you just part of you that do is win the, um, the rhythm part of the game once you've got the hang of it is is trivial like once it takes a little while a few hours to learn the patterns but once you've got it you'll hit chains of seven and eight with basically zero issues so I will say that um, each each weapon has a different attack pattern almost, yes. so the rhythm does change if you do change your weapon, which I actually kind of appreciated because it made sure that you don't just tap the button the same time every single time. Some of them were harder than others. Like, I found yes. the crossbow a lot trickier than something like the rapier. You know, I didn't actually use a ranged weapon the entire game. Was it useful? <laughs> Uh, not as useful as you may think. It was certainly useful in some spots, though. There are spots where you can snipe uh, melee enemies from uh, certain high spots, but generally not very useful. I mean, it, it was it was just another weapon in my arsenal. Okay, basically, as soon as I found a good two-hander, I just kept trying to use two-handers as much as I could because they did a lot of damage, and I loved killing things like really <laughs> fast. Yeah, um, I um, I just kept 
kept changing things out and tried to keep a balanced roster. I used pretty much yeah. every weapon. Yeah, so I actually don't hate the combat in this game, but God do I wish there was a quick weapon swap button. Like, I don't mind the strategic planning and adding your buffs and choosing the right weapon, but they need to make it easier and faster to do with the UI and with the keybinds, honestly. Like, if they kept everything the same but made it easier, I think I'd, like, really enjoy this game. But I actually think that the, all the menus really harmed my experience with this. See, I didn't like it. I thought that for all of the busy work, for all of the complexity, this game has very little strategic depth. And that was my number one hang-up with it. Uh, I should We should also mention this game has basically zero character customization. So... yeah. The, it's really bizarre are, too. These are the customization options open to you. Uh, you're not making decisions about how to build your character at all. It's all in your weapon selection and everything. So you don't even get to express yourself or try cool modifiers. Or once again, there's nothing to affect the strategic depth. It's just rock, paper, scissors. Uh, enemies don't have like different phases that you have to react to in different ways. I don't know. I... I just found that the for all of these systems, what it boils down wait, wait, to wait, is... Wait, 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 You're selling this short, Patrick. There is a way, there is one way in which you can choose how your character develops. And that <laughs> is by timing the circle button. Yes. <laughs> At the end of each boss, basically a slot machine rolls and whatever it lands on is the stat up you get. That's how your character gets stronger, is by rolling a slot machine after every boss you kill. So I hope you get good at rolling the slots, because uh, that's going to be how strong you are at the yeah, end of the game. Yeah, it's just not... I, I, I gotta say, I, you sound a little higher on this than me. I just found that for all of the bits and pieces, it just wasn't that deep. And I think that it can't compare to... And may, see, it has a tactical feel to it which is weird because you know you're only controlling one character but i don't think it has much in the way of tactical yes. depth i i don't know i i didn't like it there were parts of it i didn't hate like i'm not intrinsically opposed to an elemental system for example but there's just not enough going on in terms of depth here the problem, I think, with just having one elemental weakness is that, like, as I said before, it makes the decision-making completely trivial. I think that adding these extra two does make it a little harder, but I don't think it's hard in the vector that I want it to be hard. It's just hard in that it's, like, tedious almost. Like, I want my decision-making to be difficult and hard, but I... I don't know. I don't think that this kind of achieved what it was trying to set out to do. I don't think it should be as easy as um, weighing up accuracy and damage like in Fallout Vats. I think that I want it to be more complex than that, but I don't think that this is this complexity is in the right direction. Like, if it was on a grid and there were AoE spells and you had to predict the enemy's movement, that's an example of how tactics games can have some strategic depth, because... It, then you have to weigh up these different options and there's different factors to consider. Like you said, it often boils down to a simple equation. It's like you just need to figure it out. What's going to do the most damage? What's going to do the most damage on a limb? You're done. That's the, that's the boss fight. Done. 
Yeah, I, I will say though, um, I did actually really despise the like the heavy menu usage at the start of the game, but once I resigned myself to the pain of it, I found that the combat was engaging enough that I didn't hate it, um, and I enjoyed actually I enjoyed boss fights quite a bit sometimes. Uh, general trash mobs, not so much. But like once I'd finished the game and kind of reflected on it. Um, if I had to play through this game, I, I wouldn't hate it, but I won't. I wouldn't love it either. It's just kind of mediocre for me um, in terms of gameplay. Yeah, hard pass. This game was a slog. It was. It was a. Okay. I found the gameplay of this game an absolute slog. Oh, and the trash mobs as really? well. Really? Okay. Oh my god. Yeah, like I. I just, yeah, the trash mob. Like it's not that I hated the process of figuring out the enemies. It was that it was so, like you said, it was so such an elaborate set of tasks you had to do for every single enemy, and I was so sick of it. Like, just make it, it either either make it more interesting or was you know more interesting or make it simple don't have it complex and boring at the same time somehow yeah and one thing that i thought was a big letdown was that there's a lot of magic in this game you find spell books like everywhere mm -hmm. but your mana pool is never big enough to accommodate these like if you cast one spell you're like out of mana and it didn't even kill the thing you used it on so there's no reason to not just save your mana for heals, which are cost like nothing in comparison. So I used uh, buffs and debuffs. Um, with no, I magic. used sorry, I used buffs and debuffs all the time too. Um, like I used an offensive spell once and was like, "Holy uh, shit, that costs a lot I, of mana." I also was using the um, the elemental affinity uh, elemental spells on occasion to to give my um, when I didn't have the relevant gem or whatever. I don't know if you use that at all. Oh no, that's still just an that's not just another buff though. Oh uh, right, it... yeah, I think they're under a different menu though. Yeah, I think the um the buffs and debuffs are mandatory for beating this game. I think that a lot of the later bosses you can't even do damage to unless you use the right buff on your weapon. Yep, and uh, you know you want to use silences and strength downs and ward magic. They're all all useful and stuff spells. like that. Yeah. War yeah, ward magic was actually really useful because there was this one enemy, the lich, I think it was, that had this spell that could basically one hit you. Mm -hmm. So you were incentivized to use ward magic to absorb the spells, which I actually kind of liked. Um, I thought it was. Uh, well, I mean, the first time I got one hit, I was really annoyed about it. But once I figured that out, I uh, did enjoy trying to manage that buff to get in for a few hits. And hopefully, because that's one of the enemies you try to take out with one long chain before it gets to get a second hit off on you. Which I thought uh, probably could have used more of that kind of stuff in the game yeah, to make it more I used, interesting. Um, I used ward magic on the final boss as well. Yeah, I did. The final boss was actually... I, I really didn't like it. Um, it's got two forms, um, and the second form is such a pain in the ass to actually hit because it's flying around so much, it's really hard to get close to it, and it has a bunch of moves that can do like an insane amount of damage to you, and your buffs are always falling off, so you constantly have to mm -hmm. reapply them. I just thought the final boss was a pain in the ass yeah i mean i i thought i i used ward magic and then basically waited for it to attack me and then there was generally a window for me to attack it and i repeated that till it died <laughs> yeah so i guess um as a whole we're both pretty like patrick's pretty down on the gameplay it sounds like yes. and i'm I'm a bit up and down. I think that at some points I was really enjoying... Not really enjoying it. I think I was quite, like... 
I think it was enjoyable and um, easy to play for long stretches of time. And then at other times, the inventory management, which I think we both agree is by far the worst part of the game, really gets in the way of what could be just, you know, some good fun. I would actually like to see them try a game like this again and kind of fix up the systems and make the inventory more manageable. I think they could do a good job of it. I just think that it's incredibly flawed. But like I said before, I'll always value a unique experience over something that I've done a thousand times before. So I think I'm a little higher on it because of that. See, I favor good experiences over bad experiences. This was a bad experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, one more gameplay-related thing before we move on, unless there's something else you want to going to and that was the level design not from a, an aesthetic game uh standpoint but from like how it's designed in a gameplay perspective um another problem i had with this game uh relic of ps1 hardware unfortunately everything's divided into rooms quite small rooms yes and every single room has a loading screen between it so as you're playing this game, you're going from one small room killing the monsters into the next small room killing the monsters over and over again and i think this did a lot yes. to contribute to the slog like feel of this game for me because not only were you going through menus you were just going from room identical looking room to identical looking room over and over again yeah no i agree i like much prefer games that have seamless walking about and i found you know i like exploring in rpgs to get new weapons a lot but i found myself you know actively discouraged from doing that because i found everything looked the same sometimes and i found it really easy to get lost and like the act of going through rooms and then risking respawning the enemies which doesn't always happen um, when you leave and come back in but sometimes does like too much of a risk to bother exploring like and i finished this game when i only had like 65 percent of the map explored so uh, i do think that that kind of really small and connected interconnected rooms did damage the experience a little bit as well so we've been going for a little while now again this as we said was going to be a long episode and we still got a little bit to go so let's break it up again with a bit of music and this time we're going to be listening to patrick's favorite song which was wyvern um i don't know why i like this track so much in fact there are a lot of tracks like like james said there are a lot a lot of tracks on here um there are two main types of tracks. There's the battle music ones, the ones where you're fighting bosses and various enemies. And then there's the music that plays during cutscenes. Wyvern is one of the boss fight themes, and I liked it a lot. It, it just had a dramatic feel to it. I like the use of the trombones. I think it sounds cool. It's one of my favorite boss themes in the game. So here is Wyvern.
enjoyed the music in this game. I wasn't super high on it, but after kind of reflecting on it a bit and noticing that every single, like, there are so many different tracks on the soundtrack, I was actually kind of impressed at the scale of the soundtrack. I think um, one of the things it does really well is how well it blends into and suits the cutscenes. Yes. Uh, you, honestly, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the music as I was um, as I was playing this game, but it was always there. And listening to the soundtrack again brings me back to specific moments in the story uh, because of how well it's done. And I think this is the kind of soundtrack that you can actually just listen to by itself. It's really an impressive achievement. It's a very, uh, very well done orchestral soundtrack. Uh, I, I thought it had a good variation of um, more somber tones, the more battle-orientated music. And also, a lot of the tracks had this kind of haunting quality to it. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a choir. Maybe it's just uh, created sound effects. But uh, this is a creepy game, and the soundtrack does reflect that in the right yeah part. that was the song i actually played earlier for us um although patrick wouldn't have heard it because i haven't added it in editing yet the, i really enjoyed the vocal elements of this game that add that unnerving tone and that's present throughout a lot of the scenes with the Mullencamp characters and you know the arcane weird bosses and stuff like that there is a lot of unnerving stuff going on and i think the soundtrack does a great job of capturing that and basically every other emotion that the game's trying to convey. Like you, didn't notice the soundtrack a whole lot of time while I was playing the game, but I don't think that's a negative. I think the soundtrack fits perfectly because obviously there's so many tracks on the soundtrack that every one has been crafted particularly for the scene that it's suiting, and I think it does it really well. It doesn't like... Um... It doesn't work as well for me as something like Cave Story. And once again, I'm probably just a music pleb because when I I was hearing those Cave Story tracks in my head for like weeks after we finished yes, that game. Yes. But but I, I still think I still think it's an excellent soundtrack. They did a good job. Yeah, I don't I, I agree. I don't think there's any track that will get stuck in my head for weeks, but I think that capturing the tone it does a great job. Um other than the sound, like the music, I think that the sound effects in this game are actually really memorable. Um, I remember the sound of opening doors and opening the battle sphere, you know, it's burnt into my mind. I think that every sound effect is very well done, very distinct, especially in cutscenes when characters are moving about. You can hear their clothes rustling and armor clinking and their footsteps and all these like little details, like signs swinging in the wind overhead in a, you know, like an inn or something like that. I think um, all the sound effects are really enjoyable. While there was a good attention to detail, I do want to point out that I think some of the sound mixing was off, uh, particularly the clanking of armor is so loud. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable, uh, along with a couple of other sound effects. So yes, there's a lot of attention to detail here, which I appreciate, but uh, the volumes of certain sound effects is probably a bit too loud. The door opening noise included, but maybe maybe you like that one more. No, I do. I really liked those. I think all I think the sound effects are exaggerated on purpose, um, and I think it makes gives this like chunky feel that I really enjoyed. Um, 
There was this one bit right at the start of the game where you're kind of exploring this cave and there are these really creepy moaning sounds in the background. Is that a sound effect or part of the music? I just couldn't tell, but it was really unnerving. I'm pretty sure that's a sound effect. So so that's in the wine cellar before you encounter any monsters. You're like fighting against um, bats and dogs and things like that. Yeah. And you hear the ominous moaning of monsters before you actually encounter them. Yeah, I, I really liked that, and all the kind. Of, I think all the ambient sound effects are really, really cool in this game. Um, so yeah. Yeah, they help set the atmosphere. Yeah, music's great. Um, and I guess uh, this brings us to the final bit of analysis, which is my favorite part of the game: the graphics. Um, for a are PS... you kidding me? Oh boy, I'm I am ready to hear this. What the really? Fuck? I think this right, no, game. No, no, you just you just speak. You just speak. I think this is the best looking PS One game I've ever seen. I think it's incredible. Um, <laughs> are you sorry? Are you on. joking? Like this game looks fantastic. You say your piece, sir. I will respond in two minutes. Okay. Sir. You say your piece. All right. So this game looks incredible. It has fantastic use of color and visual direction. Um, I think every character model is incredibly distinctive. You can see right down to the musculature on each of the characters, and I think for a PS1 game, that's incredible. If you compare this to something like Metal Gear Solid or any of the Final Fantasies on the system, you know, this game absolutely blows them all out of the water. For a PS1 game, I think that if you compare this to modern games, it's not gonna blow your mind, but to me, having played a lot of games on the system, but never this one, I was absolutely blown away. I'm insulted by uh, by how much you enjoy this game after all the shit you gave Call of Duty. Like I'm actually I'm actually shocked that you think this game looks as good as it does. This game looks miles better looks than like... Call of Duty. Way better. You're crazy. What? This game looks incredible. You... I cannot believe you're saying this. This game is the blandest, most boring looking game I've ever seen. You're literally spending ninety percent of your game going through these brown sewers. Like it's just. It's just stretch textures over every wall. They're all brown. They're all single rooms. There's nothing interesting about it at all. The texture and the modeling, like the modeling's the incredible the in this game. You made fun of the Call of Duty model. And this characters. game is better. They have far more detail. No, than that. absolutely not. Those characters look Listen, ugly and polygonal, and these characters look great. That's. I. I think you're mad. Here's what I'll say. I think that the characters are well designed like they're 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 you know they're appealing sydney looks really good he's an interesting character design and all the characters are distinct from one another but the environments are bland as hell the enemies you'll fight you literally fight a giant enemy crab twice in this game and every single enemy you fight is the most generic boring enemy you could think of. i have a dot you know, point you fight on my notes and dragons i have a dot point on my note right here that's to mention how cool all of the enemy and like all the boss uh spawning animations are like the way that the they're game... just jrpg fodder like they're just they're just dudes they're just boring looking dudes there are a couple of interesting ones, but on the whole, they're pretty generic, uh, generic looking. I'm ins I I'm also insulted um, by your opinion on this. I was 
Like, I was sure you would agree with me here. I think every time you encounter a new boss and it, like, bursts out of the ground or spawns with this arcane particle effect and, you know, does its cool little animation, it was awesome. I loved every time I encountered a new boss. I loved every- You fight dragons, like, seven times through this game and they're just reskinned. Like, they're just different colored dragons. You fight lizardmen and wolves, like, it's just- I don't know. It's it's just generic JRPG fodder. And, I mean, don't tell me you're defending the environments as well because the environments are so boring and bland. Like, it's mostly caves and sewers. I think the mines in the wine cellar does look bland, but I love the catacombs and the way the blue light kind of permeates everything and the torches uh, contrast against the backgrounds. I think the enemies in the catacombs are also really incredibly visually designed. Do you remember the, like, the puppets with the little strings that were coming out of, like, the air? Those look so cool. Uh, and we're re- yeah, those, those those were well done. I, I don't want to say like every single enemy is unimaginative because there are a few of them, but a lot of them are just boring generic. And fodder. then there's the big dollar hands, like the big suits of armor without a head that's like slowly dragging. It's like how is that sword across what? the ground? That's like the- that's like literally the most boring generic thing you could think of. A suit of armor? What? I don't understand. Like I'm not saying that it's. I don't understand. I I am shocked that you gave Call of Duty so much shit when Call of Duty looks so much better than this game. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, Call of Duty... (laughs) The Call of Duty's hardware and the the models of the guns and everything are so well realized. It's such a clean visual style. I, I am... I am surprised you like it as much as you were. I was expecting you to be an apologist for it. To say this is the best part of the game is ridiculous. This game is ugly. It's ugly as sin. It's probably the ugliest game we've done for this cast. Uh, well, I guess that's the end of the show. I can't do a show. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. I can't be subjected to having to do a show with this heathen any longer, guys. I'm sorry. I'm out. I don't. I listen. I just don't understand. Like, I I think the character designs are well done, but I think that this game's ugly as hell, and I think that thinking otherwise is a load of nonsense particularly when you last episode you said call of duty is the ugliest game you've played and you made fun of the models like i that's a step too far for me there's a clear clear i don't understand the characters the character models in this game look so much better and are more detailed than a game with on like that was made on better hardware at a later date. They, li- they literally aren't though. Like it's uh, literally uh, whatever. We're we're not getting anywhere. Um, you and I disagree on the graphics. Yeah, the graphics in this game are some of the best we've seen so far, and Patrick thinks the exact opposite for some bizarre reason. Kindly don't use the word we when uh, when you say that statement. Uh, some of the best graphics you've seen so far, mate. Uh, not me. Yeah, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I I think this game looks absolutely gorgeous. Um I love this the way this game looks to death. I think the um the lighting, the choice, the character models, um the way that each scene is framed, um the animations are absolutely great even to this day. And Patrick, oh you hate this game, right? But I listen. It's I. I think this game is pretty ugly. I, I think the environments are far and away the worst part. It's an endless, repetitive slog of like dark brown, and then eventually you upgrade to dark blue environments. 
but I think it looks ugly. The characters are a bit better, like they're distinct and interesting and identifiable, which I appreciate. But they're very low polygon and, you know, stuff like the hair and stuff. This this is from an era of 3D graphics before they solved a lot of the fundamental issues with the 3D models. And this game is no exception. Yeah, I was I was disappointed with the graphics. I thought I would say they were pretty bad overall. Okay, sure. Um, and yeah, I guess that brings us to the end. Um, so, Patrick, uh, what was your overall feelings on Vagrant Story? I can't recommend this game. Uh, the, the best part about Vagrant Story is far and away the story. I love how it has a light touch to exposition, something that's an absolute rarity in video games. I liked the Shakespearean um, Shakespearean style of the dialogue and everything, even if the dialogue was weak at times. I liked the characters. I, I, think, I think it's a really intriguing story, and it's one that I've enjoyed more upon reflecting and exploring it. So I can definitely recommend the story. I found the gameplay an absolute slog. I found that it was complex over deep uh, and that you are spending most of your times in the menus. I disagree with James about the graphics. I appreciate that he likes them a lot. I don't want to take that away from him, but I thought this game was ugly. And um, I'm sure, I I mean, it's okay that we think differently, but yeah, I, I just think that the graphics were unremarkable at best and uh, I didn't get anything of value out of the graphics. Overall, I cannot recommend Vagrant Story. It's too much of a slog, too much stuffing about. I'm sure there's an audience for these sort of deep, super deep, complex mechanics sort of games, but I am not part of that audience. Can't recommend it. For me, Vagrant Story is interesting because it's a game unlike any I've ever played before, and on that merit alone, I really appreciate it. I love when games try new things, and to play such an older title and find such a you know different kind of gameplay is very exciting for me. Even though this game is incredibly flawed in a lot of its gameplay systems, I did find myself enjoying it for the majority of my time with it. I loved the story, I loved the characters, I thought the graphics are the best I've ever seen on a PlayStation 1 game ever, and the sound was pretty good too. The menus are really what drags this down from being a great title, in my opinion, to being just good. I think that if this game's menus were fixed and that if you could swap your weapons with just pressing a directional button or something else that simple, that this would be a great title that I'd recommend to anybody. But as it stands, I can't recommend this game to just anybody. You have to be a very specific person to enjoy this game, which, you know, I was but I I'd assume that the majority of people won't be. So if you like really obtuse gameplay systems, uh, really vague, interesting, compelling stories, fun characters, um, and you know you like the art out of the box, then yeah, definitely give it a shot. But most people are probably going to be turned off by the gameplay, honestly. So, you know, bit of a hit or miss one for me. I can't say definitely don't play this game, but do your research before you pick this one up. Okay, so that's about all we have time for. Uh, we are the Retrospectives Podcast. You can find us at, uh, at RetPodcast on Twitter. You can send us an email at RetrospectivesPodcast at gmail.com or you can find all of our content, including a lot of articles, at rspodcast.net. Most importantly, we've got a Discord server you can drop by. We always have lots of fun discussions and 
admittedly a lot of arguments about both games of the past and games of the present so we would love if you would drop on by yeah i'd absolutely love to see more people on discord we've got some great discussions going on um and i'd love for you all to be a part of it so come on down and tell us who's wrong and who's right yeah we'll link to it in the show notes um so with us at the end of the show it's time for us to talk about what we're doing for the next fortnight and next fortnight Oh, I'm breathing a sigh of relief here because we're going back to my game. Is it going is it back a shooter? to one of the? Is it a shooter? <laughs> it, it is a shooter. We're going back to one of the uh, all-time classics. We're doing Halo One. Halo One is a game that um, I have never actually played from start to finish, but I have played it for many, many hours. I never owned an Xbox as a kid. But I've played so much of the game at um at friends' places over the years, both co-op through the campaign and multiplayer. I thought it would be fun to go to this classic console shooter. Thankfully, there's a PC version with mouse and keyboard and see if it stood the test of time. Have, have you ever played Halo, James? Am I going to have to ban first-person shooters from this show or something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have played Halo. I promise... I promise we'll take a break after this Fortnite. I've been inflicting them pretty heavily upon you. Yes, I have played Halo 1. I've played through the campaign twice, in fact, um, and I do remember enjoying it, but I am actually quite dubious on how much fun it's going to be in today's market. Um, so we'll see. Um, I hope it's still fun, but I think it's going to be a pretty you know, simple and straightforward game that's not going to hold my attention for too long. But, you know, who knows? Uh, Sounds like a nice change of pace, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this fortnight and feel free to drop us a comment about anything. My name is Patrick and you've been listening to Pat and James on the Retrospectors podcast. See ya. See ya.